0: West Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference.
1: We are continuing in our series, and as we uh, are approaching Easter, we're continuing on our leap of faith. And uh, today, uh, for our message, Jeremy is going to join us. If you would welcome him to the uh, podium, or the stage, we're going to... We're going to share uh, our time together today and talking with you. So um, some of the things we've been praying about in our leap of faith is what does God want to do for me? And I, I know that a lot of you are praying about that, and there's some interesting things. Some of you are tr- still trying to figure out what you want to pray for that. Others, all of us are praying for the five on our list, and a few of you are overachievers. You're praying for seven or eight. And uh, people who are in our lives who are uncertain of their faith and uh, or... Uh, not meaningfully connected to a church. Uh, The last question that we're actually praying for is how does God want to use me through Quest to bring greater peace and prosperity to our community? And that really has a lot to do with this whole series that we're talking about, how we discover God's purpose for our lives. It especially has a lot to do with what we uh, talked about the last time I was up here with you 2 weeks ago when we talked about being rooted in our past and and how we can look at our timeline and see how God has been at work all throughout our life. And even the things that we have a hard time understanding how he could have been at work in them in the moment to touch our lives. And I know a lot of you took those uh, exercises, so I know a lot of you want to do your timeline. I actually got permission to share one. Thank you, Patrick. Appreciate it. Um, Patrick did his timeline, and their small group is processing each one of, of, of people's timelines one at a time. Uh, each week. And it proved to be an extremely valuable experience. Patrick worked really hard in his timeline, got it down to the point where he was able to identify his turning points but was struggling to understand the meaning of them. And so he got together with a small group and they started looking at his timeline, processing it. And Patrick's timeline has these seasons of loss in it, these seasons of pain. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute uh, through our own message today. But these seasons of loss where he lost his mom to cancer and then uh, later on moved and lost his really good friendships and came to uh, New Albany here and, and discovered relationships that were uh, actually not very kind at all, uh, teasing him about the learning disability that he has to manage through his life. And it was very difficult and painful. And then and then even when he started to get into his career, the loss of a really good boss in terms of having a boss who was not very kind and very, very difficult to work with for a while. And as they processed through that evening, the, the, uh, the people looking at his timeline started uh, to go, Patrick, you felt throughout your life like you were lost or alone so many times. But look at your timeline. Each and every time you felt the loss when you lost your mother, a few years later, uh, Cindy comes into your life and adopts you. You move, and Mr. Covey comes into your life, a, a good Christian teacher and a man who cares for you and defines and helps define what you're good at and what you're called to do in life for a vocation, and, and you've got success. And when you had a difficult job, a uh, difficult boss situation, God answered your prayers there and brought you a boss who understands you and who affirms you and and patrick walked away that night and as he summed it up uh, to his dad who sent me the email uh, uh, for the first time he realized he's never been alone never been lost in life sorry I mean, tears <clears throat> you know it's an amazing thing to look back at our life, and see how God has been at work all along to do and lead us into the good works He's prepared in advance for us to do, as the scripture says. Today, Jeremy and I are going to share from our own timeline some, a smattering of some leadership lessons that we've learned that have shaped who we are and actually shaped who Quest is as well. Because oftentimes, the things that we value the most in our life, as we talked about last time, are created by the pink stickies, those pain moments in our life and we left off last time talking about how we can interpret those through three lenses how how God uses the pain he doesn't cause the pain but he uses the pain and redeems it by shaping our values deepening and clarifying our values and by shaping our character and forming a good spiritual foundation for us and also by using those pain moments at times as moments to guide us Uh, closing one door and opening another. Where we didn't get to last time was kind of the last step in processing our learning from when we look at this timeline of our life is, is to capture our learnings in one to five word statements that describe what we value in life. Those things that When we are not able to do them, they drive us nuts. They create huge tension and huge emotion when those values are violated. They're those hills that we're willing to die on, where we're we're willing to hold for this or fail. We're not going to change. We're going to be this. They're the things that drive our passion, that drive our purpose and why we do what we do and what we do. And the values can easily be seen in our timeline when we actually put it out in front of us. In fact, Jeremy is going to share first something from his timeline that I think really speaks to how values come out of that.
2: Yeah, I, I was um, a little bit reluctant uh, to do the timeline activity. And, uh, in fact, I was telling Ross and Wendy two weeks ago uh, in staff meetings, like, I, I don't want to do this. I've processed enough. I don't need to do it. Um, But I've got to admit that um, I went ahead and did it. And as I did it, I realized this is a very helpful process in understanding uh, just how God has used... Uh, unique events, episodes in my life to really, uh, create purpose and establish identity for me. And, and so I'm gonna tell a, just a brief story this morning, um, about one of the earlier episodes. And I was just looking at Ross's notes and he's got it on here. It says Jeremy Greaser story. And, um, like, thanks. <laughs> Way to ding me. Some of you, um, may know this story. I don't know if all of you do, but when I was in fifth grade, uh, I changed my haircut. I was, I, you know, from the time I was, you know, had hair until I was in fifth grade, I had a bowl cut. And then I decided to change my hairstyle and, and I started slicking it back. And, um, and, and I, I really liked it. I thought I was cool. I was, you know, kind of like John Travolta in Greece and really pleased with myself. And um, one day after uh, recess, I came back into my history class and on the chalkboard was this drawing of the spindle top, which is an oil derrick in Texas. It's famous. I'm from Texas. So I always tell stories about Texas. Are you guys all familiar with spindle top when i say that you know what it means okay um well so uh, i'm 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 expecting us to have a history lesson on um an oil derrick and it turns out that there's this bully in class who's actually drawn this on the chalkboard to represent me in my new hairstyle and uh, he has actually convinced the rest of the class to start calling me spindle top and greaser and uh and i mean it took me you know about a good five minutes because I'm kind of slow to realize what was happening. And, uh, but when I did it, I, it just hurt my feelings. And then over about three weeks, um, the way I remember the story happening was that the entire fifth grade, save three people, uh, were calling me names like greaser, as it's posed in Ross's notes right there, um, <laughs> spindle top and slicker and all kinds of things. And it was it was a really painful moment for me to be alienated, to be um, bullied like that. And and um, as I was doing my timeline, I started to think through, you know, what were the things that I learned during that time? And, and I, I kind of came up with with two pieces that were really um, important to me. One was that while I was in that moment, uh, I, I there was a clear sense that I was not going to allow a bully to determine how I thought um, or what I did, my actions, that that I was going to stand firm. And I remember coming home at night and sitting around the table with my parents and crying about the names that people were calling me, uh, but still determining not to, uh, to change my hairstyle back to something else so that I wouldn't be picked on. Um, in fact, there was this moment uh, when I called the bully out, and I named him in the first service. I'm not going to do it uh, in this service because... Um, this will probably be the podcast that we record. Right. Probably. So I don't want people to know who it was. But um, so uh, um, Brandon Williams was there sitting in, in the classroom. And uh, and it was it was a crazy story because um, I, I was supposed to go up to the front of the class and read from my um, health book. This is a terrible thing to make fifth graders do read from a health book in front of the class. The human body does this. Like, who does that? Anyway, so I'm walking up to the front. As horrifying as, as that is, and then as I'm as I'm going up to the front, the entire class erupts in calling me different kinds of names, and and some of them didn't even make sense, but it was very harmful and hurtful and painful. And I I looked at Brandon, and I pointed my finger at him, and said, three o'clock, I'm gonna." Something at the bike racks. I'm going to kick your rear end, and I didn't say it that way. It was it was really cool. I was like, Ugh. and um, we got into a fight and all that kind of stuff. And but I, I remember that I, I was not going to bend because of what a bully was doing to me. I, I was I was going to be firm in that. The other thing though uh, that I really understood during that time was a deep sense of empathy for people who were bullied, who um, had experienced that kind of um, you know just opposition and, 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 and. It's interesting because I notice now after doing this timeline that that the Lord really used that moment uh to clarify for me even a sense of purpose in my own profession now as a youth pastor and and uh you know I see an opportunity to to help students who are struggling with those kinds of things and 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 those are the kids that I really like to to minister to in a lot of ways and, and so I'm thankful uh, not only for that episode for that pain moment but also for the process to to help clarify uh, that value in me. Which is interesting because I, as I was doing the process, I was watching or reading Ross's stuff. I, um, he, he gave me a sample of his, uh, yeah, this right here. I was looking at this as I was processing through my computer and I'm reading his episodes and pain points. And I realized that I'm sure a lot of his stuff has not only developed his values, but also um, has led to some of the values here at Quest and, and shaped us because of what God has done in him. And um, you have a couple yeah. stories, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: In fact, uh, it's interesting the way we arrived
2: at some of the value statements requests really reflect
1: all of our experiences and a lot of our pain points. For instance, we talk a lot about friends with faith. For me, that whole idea comes about from some really painful pink stickies on my timeline and some really great mentors in my timeline spread over a 25-year period. I was raised uh, early on with kind of a religious mindset about life where Uh, To be a good Christian, we all have our definition of good Christian, right? To be a good Christian was more about purity and freedom from sin than it was about how we were in relationship with other people. For many of you, you have had those same ideas about good Christian, about purity, and in fact we can probably see it even more, more easily in how we approach parenting. We sometimes think, oh, we need to keep our kids away from those kids right those kids who might tempt them to behave in a certain way and we start to sometimes by accident reinforce a religious idea that it's more about purity to be good than it is about being in relationship and that was that was for me and my early decision to follow christ that became my focus and it significantly alienated me from many of my relationships in life. And why? Because because I was afraid of being tempted. I was afraid of sinning. I was afraid of falling. And and I was afraid that even if I was around them and I was not succumbing to some of the things that they were doing that were not good or helpful or healthy to do or sinful, that even if I was around them and tempted to be like that, something about me would be displeasing to God sinful. So high school for me was a fairly lonely time. I went into college and continued that kind of a lifestyle, and I'm not going to go into a lot of detail because I've alluded to it probably far too many times. Some of you may go, ugh, he's going to talk about it again. But I I kept working really hard until the point where I just crashed. I just crashed in severe depression. I couldn't perform anymore. I couldn't be that perfect, good person all the time anymore. And it was during that time I had some really interesting, wonderful friends and, and mentors in my life who helped me start to reflect a little bit on who Jesus was and reading the Gospels and seeing how Jesus was so willing to be associated with individuals that church people can oftentimes reject. In fact, he was so willing to be associated with them that he was accused of being a drunkard. He was accused of being of the devil by other people. And during that time, because of my own depths of depression and the temptation and sin that I was involved in, because of that, and then also reading some books on spiritual abuse by Jeff Van Bonder, and I began to glimpse and see a different way to live, this faith thing. A way to love and be committed to a relationship that can really only come when two things happen in our life. And One of them happened through the depression for me. Realizing how deeply flawed we really are as people every single one of us. How deeply imperfect we really are. And at the same time, to understand how deeply loved we are as a person. You see, if I'm truly forgiven, then I don't have to be afraid of being tempted. I don't have to be anxious and afraid that I'm going to displease God by being tempted or even by falling into sin. Falling into sin, while certainly painful to us or to others, is really less important in our faith than pursuing and loving others in relationship like Jesus did. Thus, the phrase, friends with faith, and part of the reason we talk about it a lot, as the key to a really vital faith relationship with God. Sometimes the painting affects us differently, although Jeremy's got a story about that
2: yeah um you know conflict is difficult, and uh, a lot of times we recognize um, what we value the most in the midst of conflict that's that 's painful that 's difficult um, however, um, one of the episodes that I have and i i call um, i kind of have names for these my first one episode one is Spindletop. top this one is episode two it 's called the letter and um, i see i didn 't say greaser see that's that 's like now you said greaser, that's, i know, but that 's what though. the bullies called me. <laughs> um but uh I I had this uh episode um this is a while back and uh, it's hard for me to tell this story because I don't want to, um, uh, like, well, I don't want to victimize anyone, but, um, or, I don't know, that's not the right word. Anyway, uh, this person who I was working with um, uh, wanted me to feel uh, a certain level of threat, and uh, and so we were making a big decision in the organization that we were working for, and he didn't want people to know, or rather, I should say, he didn't want me to tell people how we had made the decision, and so what he did was he wrote this this letter about me that was a, a complete character assassination and uh, and he used it uh, as a threat to intimidate me into silence and um it was full of lies and exaggerations and it was really painful to hear this is a person that I worked with that I trusted um I valued uh, our friendship and then to have him do this in order for him to save face through, throughout this whole process I, I just felt completely betrayed and quite frankly obliterated and and um and I remember that in that moment I was essentially given a decision. Will I um, tell the truth about what's happening in this process and let people know and, and let this person you know, read this letter about me to all of the people that we are friends with? Or that was his threat. Or would I just remain silent and um and then move on from that uh that time and, and I made the choice uh to move on, to remain silent, to, to not um create a lot of tension and unnecessary pain for myself for my family. And um it was difficult enough for us to have to uproot and move away, but I knew that I could not be in a relationship with someone that I didn't trust, uh that wasn't transparent and that wasn't authentic and, and so I, I, I left that place because of those things. And I discovered within me um, how, and this seems very simple. I know even as I'm saying it now, I'm like, well, duh, people want to be in a relationship with authentic people that are transparent. But sometimes that's really hard to come by. But what I've discovered here um, when I've I've come on staff here and been a part of Quest is that because of our values, um saying we we value relationship above differences, because we say um we are you know friends with faith, uh those things that are underlying those are the fact that we're gonna be transparent with one another, uh that we are we're not going to talk behind each other's backs, that we're gonna deal with conflict in a healthy way, um, and and that that we're going to be ourselves and, and be allowed to be ourselves as well and and I, I've just discovered this place of safety and um, really a sense of belonging here at Quest and I'm so thankful for it because uh, it really is um, attributed to to Ross and Wendy's leadership and, and how they are driving this church forward and and uh, so I'm thankful for uh, for you guys, in, in that, um, because this is a safe place for us to be a community of believers together, and we can deal with our stuff. We can talk about our episodes and our shortcomings and everything else, and actually um, move forward in our journey of faith. And, and that's a very important thing for us uh, to have. So,
1: And that's been a value that has shaped because we have very common experiences. And I think that's one of the reasons why why we work together so well in this. Relationship above difference is a very strong value for us.
2: Yeah, um, I have my last story that I'm going to share. I call uh, Second Fiddle, and and, um, like I mentioned before, I'm from Texas, and we have a saying that um, if... Uh, your second fiddle that means you you play you're not first fiddle in the band uh, that's not really the saying but it's something along those lines and um, one of the things that I've experienced as I was doing my timeline uh, process is that I'm in a new phase of my journey right now which is called life maturing Ross talked about the different phases uh, two weeks ago and and um, when I was moving out of my my role maturing process which is where we discover our gifts and what we're really good at and um there's a whole lot of other stuff too, I'm sure. Um, um but like moving out of that phase into the life maturing phase, uh we become comfortable with ourselves and we have a strong sense of identity and and um I discovered this a few years back. It was right before I came to Quest and and uh I discovered that um as a person, particularly as a youth pastor, I'm really good at being second fiddle, at playing second fiddle, and that's uh being a supporting role to uh the people who are in leadership above me, and, and, uh, and, and in that, that means that I have to sacrifice some things, like um, a desire to be the lead person, and, and um, when, I, when I really got comfortable with this place of being second fiddle, I uh, I, I started to communicate that, um, and one of the pain points that I experienced is once I communicated that, I actually was fired from, uh, my job. And, and, um, there's a couple of reasons that went into it, but the primary reason was that, uh, there was an expectation of me to not be second fiddle, um, but rather to be more of a, a lead person. And, and, um, and so I was, I was let go. And, um, it was painful. It was hard, but there was also this deep sense within me of, of, um, I'd say satisfaction and comfort because i know who i am and if i'm going to be in a role where i can't be myself then i don't necessarily want to be there and so um this this you know, understanding a uh, deep sense of identity and ultimately purpose uh, in the ministry that God has given to me has, has provided me this place um, in maturation, life maturation, where um, it's, it's kind of a, a sense of, I can really set down my roots. I can be myself and I'm not striving after things that are not you know for me and in and because of that there's a, a true sense of being able to move significantly further faster in uh, the purposes that God has given to me and and so this stage of my life um being here being second fiddle um and uh youth pastor whatever that is um it it's it, there's so so much um freedom in it and i'm thankful uh because without this timeline process i don't know if i would recognize that i wouldn't know that um this is why i experienced the kind of freedom that i'm feeling but uh i do know that uh because i see it now there's just this opportunity for me to just you know, kind of release some of those other things that I had been thinking about that weren't necessarily for me, and I'm able to dive specifically into what God has given me. and And um, it's interesting because I know part of Ross's story uh, dovetails with this a little bit in in uh, a life phase, and I want you to share that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the first time I ever did this timeline was in 1998, and uh, I was reviewing that for this message, the writing I put down, and going through all the learning points. It was really extremely helpful, and you look at it, you know whatever, 15, 20, 16 years later again. But at the very end of it, I wrote, I think I'm headed into convergence. And now I look back and I just laugh. I was so naive. If you recall the phases that, that we go through in leadership development that we outlined in one of the messages, convergence is kind of this pinnacle of your influence in this phase where you get to let go of all the things you're good at for the things you're best at. And it's it's just this beautiful time And I think all of us, all of us dream about and uh, i still don't think i'm there so now that i'm a little (laughs) older and maybe more mature i still don't think i'm there But I began to wrestle as I was approaching this and even over the last 11 years before I came here, working with so many different churches and working with so many different leaders who were older and working with even a lot of business people and training and coaching and leadership development who were getting older. I really wrestled with this question. Why is it that so many people start well and finish mediocre? Why is it? That when we get older, as leaders, we often tend to become gradually irrelevant or less effective, rather than more effective. And while so few people actually finish strong or more sought after, so many just finish poorly. And Clinton actually identifies a couple of reasons. He actually says that very few of us make it to these convergence and afterglow, which are the two last stages that he talks about. And he says for that, that happens for a couple reasons. He says, number one, it happens because a lot of times we don't face the character tests of the earlier phase as well. We don't pass those. And the whole idea is we keep coming around the mountain to those same tests until we pass them and move on. The other aspect, he says, is sometimes you don't make it to convergence because you're in an organization that doesn't allow you the freedom to let go of what you're good at for only what you're best at because they need more. Maybe they can't provide you that opportunity or maybe they won't. It doesn't, doesn't matter. But I, I think there's another reason, too, that I think from my own experience and from some of my reading, I think seems even more prevalent. And I think that reason comes down to how we define purpose, which obviously is a pretty important thing when we're talking about a whole series on purpose and we're trying to discover more clearly our purpose, right? How we define purpose oftentimes uh, prevents us from reaching those phases. And I think it could be really illustrated easily by David's life. David we see and we've talked about over the last few weeks when I've been up here, we've talked about how David successfully faced a number of key challenges in his own growth as a person. He was really faithful at dealing with some difficult stuff and growing through it really well and God honored him and God blessed that. But then we also see in David's life that after years and years of faithfulness, faithfulness, after years and years of perseverance, after years and years and years of fighting battles, some of them real battles, some of them political battles, some of them spiritual battles, some of them personal, emotional battles of trying to figure out how to cope with life, we see him tired of the fight and getting to this point in life where he feels like he's arrived at his destination for his purpose of God's blessing in his life and wanting to rest and enjoy the fruit of his labors. And the problem is when we define purpose, and we all do at some level, as a destination as something we can actually achieve and arrive at, we always start asking ourselves the question, when have I arrived? When do I get to enjoy the fruit of my labors and relax a little bit and just enjoy life? For some... We define purpose as a certain level of respect so people are seeking us out or we define purpose as a certain level of financial success so that we can slow down and we can play more golf and we can enjoy things and go on some nicer nicer vacations. And we have all these different definitions that attach themselves to purpose. And in David's life, when he got to this place and he, he started to rest on his laurels, it ends up in adultery with Bathsheba and it ends up in killing her husband and one of the most devastating experiences of his life. And why is that? It's because purpose is not a destination. Purpose is not a measurable goal. It's something that when we treat it as such, we actually lose a sense of vision and we fall prey to sin and declining influence. Because godly purpose is defined by the quality of life we bring and, 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 and place in other people's lives. The kind of impact God wants us to have on other people's lives. Who are the people in your life now? And how does God want you to make a difference for good in their life now? That impact, you see, never stops. It's never a, def- it's a destination. It's never something we arrive at. We do it, and then we do it again mm-hmm. and again. And again, and as we grow, hopefully we grow through these stages and we do it with greater influence and greater impact. But even if we don't grow through these stages, we still have that same type of purpose, maybe just not quite the level of impact God hopefully dreams for us to have someday. For you, maybe that means... Uh, you have a passion to help someone who's addicted be free of that addiction. And you help one person, and then you help another, and then you help another, and you keep doing that. Or, or maybe for you, it's you want to be constantly mentoring younger executives to be godly, to be excellent, to build great culture at their workplace, to be honest, to be excellent leaders. Maybe that's your purpose. Or, or maybe uh, your purpose is uh, right now different than what it will be later on because maybe you've chosen to be a stay-at-home parent, and it's not going to look the same as when your children are gone. So differences in purpose can happen like that. And what is, you know, so what are you, the question really becomes, what are you multiplying in others? And who are you multiplying that in? See, purpose is about life multiplying something good in others. For instance, those who are involved in Quest Care. And those who are leading financial peace university what they're multiplying in other people's lives is a sense of peace a sense of confidence and, and, and a sense of healthy communication in marriage and helping families be stronger because of helping in that area if you tutor kids maybe you're helping instill and multiply something there purpose is not resting in your laurels it's not something we arrive at it's something we're always engaging for me that means multiplying leaders multiplying leaders who lead small groups, multiplying leaders who multiply services, multiplying campuses, multiplying churches, multiplying pastors. What is that for you that you're going to multiply in somebody else's life? that's the definition of your purpose we want to pause here and take a moment to deal with any questions and to join us for that mary lutz is going to come up and, and add another perspective for answering the questions so if you have any questions have uh, been submitting them or you want to quick submit one you can uh, log on to the cafe wireless and submit it to questions that go to quest.org or if you're feeling lucky text text and see if your signal
0: is good enough do we have any
1: questions dusty
0: yes we do does the Bible say we are to be set apart? Uh, what does that mean in light of your comments?
1: Well, then, let me, so let me ask you this. Yes, yeah, set apart is the big argument that caused me to have a separation, a separatist idea to my faith. And yes, the Bible does say set apart, but it doesn't say set apart in relationship, it says set apart in character and behavior. Right?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Jesus was set apart while he ate with the prostitutes and the tax collectors who were stealing and lying and slandering and cheating. And so the goal of our faith is actually to engage in a relationship just like Jesus did and yet learn to be free and gracious and kind like he is and holy like he is.
3: One of the contemporary translations of the word became flesh and dwelt among us is the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. And part of what Martin Luther fought against was not abolishing the priesthood, but abolishing the laity. We're all priests.
2: I do want to add something. I wasn't going to add something to this, but I do want to add something to it. I love this question because um, I know a lot of people who will say, you know, they'll use this um, common saying that Jesus ate with sinners um, in order to, like, justify their behavior uh, for acting like an idiot. Forgive my language, sure. um, but uh, that 's a lot of times they 'll do it well well, Jesus did the interesting thing about what Jesus did was that um, when Jesus was in those meetings, he never compromised his character, he never compromised his integrity. It may have looked like um he was a drunkard it may have looked like he was a sinner um but he knew all the while that what people thought of him wasn't going to actually change who he really was and uh and so um the interesting thing about our relationship with Christ is that Christ gives us identity and so when we choose to eat with sinners when we choose to um uh, spend time with them it doesn't matter what people necessarily say because of Christ's identity in our lives That is what will always be who we are. The important thing for us is that we don't necessarily engage in the same kind of behavior and be like the drunkards. Then we're identifying with them rather than with Christ. But. Um, the, the nuance to all of this that's really critical is that Jesus did those things. He sat uh, with sinners, he ate with them, with tax collectors, with prostitutes, in order that he might um, be able to influence them and expand the kingdom. And so we have a responsibility when we do these things, um, because we are set apart, uh, to influence for Christ um, to expand the kingdom.
1: That fair? Yeah, it's actually it's great, and, and all too often, all too often, our tendency to be set apart or separate, as that's often defined, is really a way of propping up our identity. And our identity shouldn't be in that.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I propped up my identity by being separate, so I could be better. And see, when we really realize, I'm no different. Mm-hmm. than the the drunkard. I'm no different than the prostitute. I'm no different. I have every susceptibility and every ability to be as sinful and am as sinful as they are, even Mm -hmm. if it's different behaviors. That completely changes that barrier in our relationship.
0: Mm -hmm. Very good. I think we have time for two more. They're both, uh, these next two are pretty similar. Uh, The first is... I feel like a lot of people's timelines and faith stories are mostly influenced by great times of loss or suffering. Mm. If I haven't had all those bad times, am I missing something in my story? Am I missing something in my story because of not knowing major distress?
1: No.
3: Part of the value (laughs) in the timeline is, um, for me, two things. One, um, anybody like jigsaw puzzles here other than me? Okay, a few. I love jigsaw puzzles, and um, it's it's like putting the pieces together, either again or for the same um, for kind of in a new way, uh, maybe for the first time. But the a jigsaw puzzle is about remembering the bigger picture. Jigsaw puzzles are based on Da Vinci's work when he before he created something, he would have pencil sketches on the side as kind of clues to the, the big creative process. Disney then adapted that to use in animation. And we talked weeks ago about Seth Godin's comment related to cartoons, that the action takes place bef- between the frames. So that leads to the second piece for me, which is sometimes where God focuses is not so much on just the... The big picture and the pieces, but what happens in between the pieces? And part of where God has really had to work and is still working in my life is kind of the self-talk. Kind of our our brains have these, my brain, has these repetitive patterns, usually of negative self-talk. And so he wants to redeem those pieces. And if you remember when Jesus was baptized, God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well-pleased. The very first time he was tempted in the wilderness, if you are the son of God. You see that? And so for all of us, there are these places where our self-talk, which is usually negative, um, kind of goes contrary to what God has said or the purposes of God or the gifts of God. And sometimes God wants to work there.
2: Yeah. uh, And I would say, too... um I mean, you heard part of my story today. My first episode that I shared with you was not really a bad time. Um, people called me names, you know, and, and, but the Lord still had a whole lot to use in that moment to teach me and ultimately to give me some significant purpose. And so I, I would say that, um, not having a significant bad time or, or not knowing major distress doesn't, um, keep you from understanding some deep, uh, truths about who you are in Christ but um, it's just identifying those moments of distress and allowing the Lord to speak to you through them regardless of, of what they are That's
0: Very good. and then the last one uh, like I said kind of similar but more of an action step here I feel like a lot of stories are driven by bad times it seems easier to feel God or at least desire to feel God when we are hurt or feel great need how can we be better able to feel him in good times I feel like we need to be better at recognizing those times as believers.
1: Yeah, yeah isn't that true? I mean, that's the whole story of the Bible. That's the whole story of the Exodus. Hmm. You know, the people, uh, the people have a bad time and God delivers them, and then they promptly forget two weeks later when things are going nice and good. And,
2: Asked to be back in slavery. And, and, and Idiots. And, yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, sorry. And isn't that the way we respond to him well, a lot yeah. of times? But we do the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. We do yeah. the same things. So things are going easy and we lose our habits. It really this life of following Christ is really about our habits a lot of times. It's not about earning things, but it's about our habits of turning towards him. It's about our habits of worship, about our habits of gratefulness, of expressing that gratefulness, of of taking the time to remember in good or bad times, how God was present with me today. You know, as much as i as much as i hate journaling and i i I, <laughs> I, I'm, I probably need to do it more it does slow me down to make me think that stuff you know there's some of those habits in life the spiritual habits that really guide us more than more than knowing things
3: god is so redemptive in so many ways you never know what's inside a cup like this until it's bumped and and sometimes it's a good thing sometimes it's a bad things that reveal what's what's deep within us but God is always about redeeming those pieces what i love about a kaleidoscope any any fans of kaleidoscopes here no all the children are somewhere else okay well if you're like me you love playing with a kaleidoscope because it's the same pieces new patterns new ways of thinking about what's there our pattern paul says is to walk not to fall down, but to walk. And so when you're first learning to walk, your pattern is mostly to fall down. But as we learn and grow and mature, our pattern is to walk. And so we become um, more adept at walking with God, at cooperating with Him in what He's doing in the moment. To remember in Hebrew is to make an imprint. God has made an imprint on our lives and, and it's exciting to understand what that is and participate with him in that creative process
0: yeah. no.
1: can I just pray for you yeah. Lord thank you for everyone in this room thank you for the way you have been at work in the pink stickies and the yellow stickies and everything that represents mm-hmm. their life to bring about your purpose your very very good purpose Lord, for those here who uh, have gaps where they don't understand or have pain that they still cannot interpret, understand, Lord, I pray that you'd come to them and that uh, you would reveal how you want to make and turn that to something really, really good. Holy Spirit, just come and give each and every one here insight so they can also be confident that they have never been alone, that you're with them, that you're shaping them. It's never too late. You're shaping them now for something beautiful, to multiply something beautiful in other people's lives, something that is worth living for, something that's not just worth living for, but it's amazing to live for. Thank you, Lord, that we get to be on this quest, this journey together. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, We're going to take some time now and just take some questions, any, any questions you have about what we've talked about, or maybe you've got questions about how to process your timeline. And for that purpose, uh, Mary Lutz is also going to join us to help us uh, have another
0: perspective in answering any questions. So, Very good. All right, and as most of you know, um, we do have Q&A at the end of each service, so make sure you check out the podcast for that. If a question that you submit doesn't get answered here, it'll most likely get answered during 11 o'clock. So let's go ahead and move on to our first question. How do you correctly discern the events of our personal timelines when there are gaps that make no sense?
1: Good question.
3: Can I take a step yeah, at that? Um, the question presumes that it doesn't make sense. Perhaps we should reframe our questioning to ask God what sense it makes. God has always been and will always be about redeeming what has been lost. The, the beauty of the timeline piece for me and in my life as I've wrestled through a lot of these pieces has been a couple of things. One, it, it gives you a big picture, right? And if anybody knows me well, you know I love jigsaw puzzles. I'm, I'm kind of very quirky in that sense. And the essence of a jigsaw puzzle, the essence of a big picture, is in remembering. Remember. And, and to remember, it, it's about... Putting pieces together again, or maybe putting pieces together for the first time, once you see the big picture. The other piece of that, for me—no pun intended, although that was kind of um, funny—is before we talked about one of the last series we did Q&A. There was a comment I made about a Seth Godin quote that. In, in cartoons, the action takes place between the frames. Um, this whole storyboarding process is what da Vinci used when he was creating works of art. He would put pencil sketches on the sides, and then he would do his thing. Um, it's the same thing Walt Disney did in creating kind of the whole animation world. It's the same thing involved in cartoons. The challenge for me... And maybe the challenge for all of us this side of heaven is that the action, our thinking, takes place between the frames. So the challenge is not so much in creating the big picture, but it's in asking ourselves, what did I believe about God, about myself, about others, between this and this and this and this. And then allowing God to work in us. To change that to his perspective as well. When Jesus was tempted, um, he was baptized, right? Today's baptism day. That's Mm kind of cool. Um, And God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The first time he was tempted, if you are the son of God, the same thing happens with us.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, I think this is the this question goes to the point of like Patrick. A lot of times we don't see it unless we have other people help us see it. So sure. this is this makes having other people in your life look at your timeline really important. And there are some painful experiences that we have in life that it's really hard to make sense of, and we need to we need to get into some probably more in depth time with some people that can help us understand how God wants to heal that in order for us to even make sense out of it at times so Um, but the other aspect too for me like the friends with faith for me it's easy because I'm old now right (laughs) so I get to look at a 25 year gap and all of a sudden I see yeah this experience here 20 years later there's a tie and again this is part of the reason why doing a storyboard or doing a timeline where we actually can visually look at it can be such a powerful experience for us because all of a sudden we get to see these big gaps and we go I understand now, there's a lot in between here, but I understand these two things fit, and God did something really beautiful
0: in my life through those things. So, Do we have yeah.
1: any other questions? I think we have time for one more. Yeah, I
0: think we have time for one more. It says, there are events in my timeline that are really negative, but I think those events also gave me decent character traits. If I still feel pain or sorrow from those events, are my good traits jaded? They feel driven by anxiety and most of the time not driven by love.
2: Yeah, um, one of the things that I've been dealing with is, uh, first of all, I, what I recognized in my timeline was that most of the character and principles and values that, um, are, that I really rely on now were developed in those, um, pain moments, those pink, uh, pieces of paper. And so, uh, our character is developed in the crucible moments of our life um and uh and so uh, that's that's a hard truth uh but it is reality uh and even when i look back um to some of those difficult moments there's still pain there's still um hard hurt feelings uh that exist and, and it just it says to me there's probably some more questions that I need to be asking myself and asking God so that I can discover more from this. And so um, maybe it's true that uh, good tra- traits are jaded, but I think um, that is an opportunity for more truth to be revealed. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's, uh, it's a good time for someone who's maybe experiencing some of that stuff to say, okay, what else can I learn from this moment?
3: Um, how many of you have seen a kaleidoscope? Just me? Mm -hmm. Great child's toy. Maybe the same pieces, but in a different configuration. And God can do that um, and create beauty in new ways.
1: Yeah. And For me, looking at that question, what comes to mind is this. Yeah, when I think of the one illustration that I used that's not going to be on the podcast. Continually, you come back face to face with that. And... You have to continually deal with the emotion of it so yeah you've got you've got the anger you've got the fear you've got the anxiety when this when is this person going to undermine again because they didn't really ever change i changed Mm -hmm. god changed me and a lot of that comes down to even some identity issues some of our anxiety at times is caused by fear of failure and what does that say about me and when we really learn to begin to trust that God has got our back, He's going to walk us into our purpose regardless of what happens around us, then we start to detach our, our identity from those tension points and we trust his love more, and we learn to be free of the anxiety. So I think if you experience anxiety or experience fear still or emotion around some of those, it's just a continually pro- continual process of allowing our identity to be established by the confidence of God and not by the fear that that pain still brings to our lives that somebody else is going to do something similar to us and learning to forgive, learning to be free of that, learning to walk in peace. And I think so, if you feel that anxiety, just take it as a point of of re-surrender to God and a place to reaffirm your confidence and learn to experience His peace more deeply because He does want us to be free of that as well. Let's just pray and then let's lead it. Lord, we just ask that you'd come to us. Father, I pray right now that each one of us, as we've been listening to this and maybe reflecting on some of our own similar moments, uh, and Lord, even as this last question uh, approaches some of the fear or some of the anxiety or some of the emotion of those pain points, Lord, I pray that you'd come to each one of us Mm -hmm. and make your spirit tangible to us in bringing us a sense of your peace. Lord, where we need to continue to forgive and then look, walk in that process, I pray that You'd help us to do that and in exchange for that, that You would come to us and give us peace right now even as we just name that forgiveness and as we learn to bless even our enemies, even those who cause us pain. Lord, would You bring a release from that anxiety and healing and greater purpose? Would You bring us greater insight? in the pain that are in our life that we can't see any purpose in, Lord, would You come to us in that and bring meaning because You redeem everything. And Lord, we bless You. In Jesus' name.
0: Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service
2: times, visit us online at gotoquest.org.